This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Come on, let's give the Lord praise. Why? Because of all He's been doing. We just rejoice, we celebrate. Last week, uh, if you weren't able to pick up uh, one of our uh, year uh, reviews of uh, what uh, has been taking place in Christian Life Center, we have a table in the lobby. If you weren't able to get one, we have one for every family. You can pick one up on the way out. If you're online, it's right there. If you hit the Heart for the House button on the app, It'll take you to our Heart for the House page. Down on the very bottom, you'll be able to download the booklet digitally and be able to just look at all of what God has been doing in and through Christian Life Center, through you, through the ministries that you serve in, where you're leading, where you've been giving. I mean, because of what you're doing in your giving and serving and, uh, and just your passion for the Lord, God has been blessing in a great way, and we give him praise. Amen? Come on, just give him praise one more time. Today, I want you to take this card in your hand if you uh, came in person. If you're online on the Heart for the House page, right there, you click the campus that you're a part of, and it'll have the different Heart for the House projects at the different campuses. In a few moments, no apologies. I'm telling you ahead of time. In a few moments, I'm going to ask you to give. I'm calling it the big give, that we're going to, we're going to give in a big way today. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to give before Black Friday gets here. I want you to give to God first, amen? I'm going to give. I'm going to ask you to give. I'm going to ask every family to give. We're giving for a very, very specific purpose. You're giving, I will tell you ahead of time. That's why last week I wanted you to see it. Your giving will make a difference. Your giving not only is making a difference, it will make a huge difference. As we are intentionally focusing and changing even and, and putting some intentionality, even in a greater way in what we do to reach the next generation, your giving is going to propel it. And we're excited for what God is going to do. On the card on the back, We've just broken down some of the different pieces of that. They're big pieces. And, and for some of you, you might, be able to, you might be able to take a piece of it. But really what I'm hoping for today is that everyone will do something. That we will do our part. And when we do our part individually, that there is collectively an anointing that enables us to do what God's calling us to do. It's not just about a building. It's not just about renovating facilities. It's not just about buying more chairs or, or getting some equipment that we need. It's far beyond that. It's to effectively minister. And this propels us. It encourages. It strengthens. It inspires. But most of all, it enables us to reach a broader and a larger spectrum. So hold that card. And I pray that you'll be prayerful as to what God would have you to do. Last week I introduced to you, and I want to share for a few minutes before we receive our offering. Last week I, I shared with you about a resilient faith. And today I want to just continue that thought, and I'm going to give you some keys to a resilient faith. 
But in a moment of review, let's just look at what we talked about last week. If you have an outline, you can pull it out. You can download it from our app. But let's just take a moment and remind ourselves because it links to what I talked about last week. Last week, we said a resilient faith requires, first of all, determination. Say determination. Daniel was determined he would not defile himself. Secondly, it requires convictions. Say convictions. That I will not compromise in spite of the cost. It's going to cost, but I'm not going to compromise. We really begin to look at how our convictions developed in your heart and in the next generation. And we said, first of all, convictions are caught through godly models, role models. When they look at your life, when they have spiritual uh, leaders in their life, youth leaders and life group leaders and, and, and others that speak into their life, they're caught. Convictions are, first of all, caught. Secondly, convictions are conveyed through intentional discipleship or instruction. Not only are they caught, they have to be taught. We have to help the next generation. We have to grow in ourselves of understanding what are our biblical convictions. What does the word say? And we're not going to violate the word. Doesn't matter what society says, doesn't matter what society legalizes, doesn't matter what a political party promotes, what does the Bible say? And we line our lives up to that. It's taught. And then thirdly, it's confirmed by experiencing God and being in the presence of God. It's something that's experienced. It's caught, it's taught, it's experienced. And that's where camps are so vital. That's where revival services and moments like we had this morning as adults and our youth and our children are having them in their facilities this morning where we just, we just soak in the presence, where we experience him and we worship him. And as we do, God begins to minister to us. Last week we said then, not only are... Uh, is a resilient faith uh, something that we've got to have a determination to have and we've got to develop these convictions but we have to have courage now today I'm going to talk a little bit more about courage when it comes to our resilient faith courage if I could put it in a nutshell is basically saying I'm standing in those convictions I will not be moved Courage is, is something that gets deep into our spirit and our heart. And it's the condition of the heart that we begin to believe something. We may not even know how it's going to be fulfilled and how are we going to succeed and how are we going to make it happen. But there's a courage that pushes us beyond our fears and our intimidations and our doubts and our worries and our anxieties. And it pushes us to stand strong. You see, courage gets into the heart. Say, into the hearts. And man, in the heart is the battleground, the battleground between our trials and our convictions. It's, it's, when, it's when culture begins to challenge our convictions that courage rises up because it's deep. It's seated deep within. And, and we can stand there in that courage and resist temptation and not conform to the compromise of society that's all around us. I love when we step in courage. When I watch courage rise up in me and in us as, as a church and especially in young people, courage fuels us to be able to carry out those convictions that are within us. Amen? I love it. I love it. 
So we talked about how do you build this resilient faith? How do you, how do you, what's required of it leads us now to say, okay, how do I build it? Now, it's got to start with us, but we're also talking about the next generation. How do we build it in us and in them? And today there's five key practices that we're going to look at. Now, I'm going to intentionally spend a lot of time on the first two. The last three, you know, I talk about them a lot, so I'm going to brush them. But I want to spend a lot of time on the first two. Let's pause for a moment. Father, I thank you for the anointing that's in this room. Thank you for your presence. I thank you, God, that, God, we can stand and in the moments like these and know that you are with us you love us we can worship you we can grow in you we can develop determination and conviction and courage father we can develop a faith that stands in the midst of a culture that's trying to erode our faith I pray God that this is not just an inspirational message today I pray God it's a it's a, a message of illumination And not just about what we're going to give. Father, this word goes so much further than what's going to be given. It comes into the convictions of our church. What are we going to stand for? And what are we going to fight for? And what are we going to champion? Father, we'll go countercultural. And Father, we'll be a light that shines bright. Not only in a location, but in our homes and in our lives and in our children. Father, I pray for illumination. Just ask the Lord to illuminate to you today. Just speak to me today, God. Just minister to me today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad you're in the house of the Lord? I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for our online family. I'm glad that you're with us. If you remember, we're in the book of Daniel, and we're talking about Daniel, the first six or seven chapters, really before Daniel gets into his vision of the end times. We have several different stories that take place that shows how Daniel, and especially his three friends, but they weren't the only ones that had been taken into captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar, when he, when he, uh, when he captured Jerusalem, he took the best and the brightest to Babylon. And he separated them from their families and he separated them all over the country and he began to assimilate them into the culture of the day. He began to, as he spread them out, he would do it so that there would be no uprising. And there are some that are listening today that you've got to realize that that what King Nebuchadnezzar represents in the Old Testament is the enemy of your soul today. King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament represents a world and its systems and its values and what the world that's led by the enemy of your soul is trying to do to you and I and we've got to realize what is happening. King Nebuchadnezzar's plan was very simple. It was to brainwash these young Jewish men that had, that had been captured and taken into captivity. What he wanted to really do was change, first of all, what they thought and what they believed. He wanted to confuse them. And the enemy of our soul is trying to do that, to confuse us. 
confuse us about who we are, who, who we stand for, what we represent, who am I, get us to begin to think different. What King Nebuchadnezzar did is he changed their names even to take it away from a godly heritage and what it meant in God and gave them Babylonian names. And in those names, Egyptians' names, were, were changing the identity of who they are. And man, we could preach a sermon on how the enemy's trying to change your identity and to believe something about yourself that God never intended for you. Can I just get an agreement? You understand? to change their beliefs, their thinking. He was also trying to change their lifestyle. He had them learn the language. He gave them all the pleasures of the day. They could have anything that they wanted. They were in the palace court of the king. He has separated them from their families, taken them to another culture. And what he was doing was trying to erode their convictions by changing their behaviors. And the enemy of our soul is doing the same. He's trying to erode convictions. And boy, it made me stop and say, how many of us have really helped our children build convictions? How many of us have convictions? You see, the enemy doesn't even have to work on eroding them if they don't have them. <laughs> okay. I was preaching a couple weeks ago and I told this congregation, I said, now listen, if you don't talk to me, I'm gonna preach longer. <laughs> and I'm in a really good spot right now because I was supposed to fly out going to New York at one o'clock and so I was gonna finish the service and preach quick. Can I preach quick? Yeah, I was gonna preach quick and I was gonna go and then right before I came out, the airline sent me a text, says your flight's been delayed till five o'clock. And I said, glory, <laughs> glory, 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 glory. I got a lot of time. So I know this is a message that's gonna make us think, but at least let me know you're with me, amen? All right, very good. You see, what the enemy's trying to do is the enemy entices us. The enemy's trying to pull us away from the plan of God. He's trying to use all, and I wonder what are your enticements? What are the things that the enemy is enticing you with that's trying to pull you out of the will and the plan of God? That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. He was trying to change their beliefs, their thinking, but then he's trying to pull them out of the lifestyle that they knew, the convictions that they stood upon, that which they were raised around, that which they, they, they held dearly to. That was his plan. And then thirdly, he was trying to steal their worship, change their worship, to get them from no longer worshiping Yahweh, the one and true God, but now to begin to worship the cultural idols of the day. And the question always comes down to who will we worship? Because we will worship something. We, we will worship something. And what we value the most is the reality of what we worship. How do I know what am I worshiping? Well, you got to follow. First of all, where do you put your time? Where is the majority of our time? Where is our affections? Where is our money? Where is our energy? Where is our loyalty? I mean, where are these things within us? Because that will be a clue and an indication of what is important and valuable to us. My question for all of us and for myself is, what do our children see in us? 
It's easy for me to stand up and talk about building convictions in them, but I've got to speak to us and say, which convictions and, and how are these convictions being developed within you and I? You know, when we look back into the Old Testament, we see all through the Old Testament, and it really surprised me as I was studying this this week that there were three main spirits that you saw all through the Old Testament. And as I begin to study those three spirits, I begin to realize those three spirits are still alive and well today. The first major spirit that you would see, and this is what King Nebuchadnezzar was really going after because they were three spirits that was very prominent in the Old Testament, and he was trying to, to get these young Hebrews and these Jewish young men to begin to be changed into something that they weren't. The first was the spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon is about our possessions. It's about greed. We never have enough. We got to get more and more and more. The spirit of mammon. Do we see that today? The spirit of mammon. A second spirit in the Old Testament was the spirit of Baal. Baal worship. It was a god of power. It was the root of pride. It was self-achievement and self-sufficiency. Now, I'm going to tell you, that is in the world today. It shows up in workaholism. It shows up in always checking our emails, always texting, always working at home, on vacation. You're always thinking about work. And then you only have a few minutes every day for your spouse or your children, and we're working 10, 12, 14 hours a day. It's in our society. And the third spirit was the spirit of Asheria. It was the God of pleasure specifically sensual pleasures. And the prophets of the Old Testament were always challenging these three spirits. They were always speaking against it. And yet I wonder, do we have prophets today that are speaking against these things that are in our society? You see, you and I have a responsibility as parents and as, 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 as believers that are growing in the Lord that we've got to hold on and we've got to see what is happening in culture around us so that we can fight the Babylonian system that is alive today. These spirits are alive today. It's in the world system. It's the spirit of Babylon and we've got to fight it. In the New Testament calls it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's those three spirits of the Old Testament. The Babylon, uh, Babylonian spirit, the Babylon of the Bible was one that was a culture that was against God. And man, you look around society today, and I can tell you, the Babylonian culture is alive today. A culture that's against God, rebelling against God, and we're inoculating Christians to believe that a few simple things, and a few simple words, and a few things are going to make them uh, fight this spirit. And I'm here to tell you today, that will not win the battle. There's got to be a fight. Candy said a warrior spirit has got to rise up within us. I'm calling it a resilient faith. It's got to be developed. And we've got to fight because society is trying to do everything it can to come against God and erode the faith of God's children. And we and our children, we're under the same pressures today that the Babylonians had uh, put upon Daniel and his friends is that we've got to stand and we've got to know, I will not bow. I will not bow. It may cost me, but I will not bow. I may go in a fiery furnace, but I will not bow. I may go into a lion's den, but I will not, I will not surrender. 
I've got to be determined. It's a conviction that says there will be a price, but I will not bow. When you study Daniel, it throws politics all out of the window. Daniel didn't go with what was, and I know I'm stepping out. I don't usually say this kind of stuff, but Daniel went against the political system of the day. And by the way, during Daniel, there, was ter- there were several different political parties, several different kings that got elected. And in both of those cases, he went against both of them because he had a conviction within him that he would not bow, that he would not worship the idols of his day, the idols of his day. He would not compromise his faith, that he would not yield to fleshly desires. When you look at Daniel and you go through chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4 over and over, chapter 5, the handwriting on the wall that the king is coming down. And that very night, the king died that night because Daniel interpreted what God was doing and saying, and there was handwriting on the wall. Can someone just say, God, write on the wall again and let the king of this world come I'm crumbling down and let the king of kings and lord of lords rise up as lord of all and yeah the new king came in and they concocted a plan to get Daniel and his friends uh, uh, to compromise and to get them executed it was a I mean it was a a sentence against their uh, against their life really that for 30 days they had to worship the new king and the state And Daniel and his friends decided they would not. And they went into a lion's den. But we know that the king looked down. He didn't know the furnace story. He hadn't been there. He looks down. And here I see, I thought we put in what? And now I'm looking down in the fire and I see four. And now in the lion's den, they haven't even eaten him and taken him. I mean, Daniel's over there petting him, you know, and just caressing him. Take Candy's word. The lion has shaken his thing, you know. I saw her hair going all over as she did that. And and the lion's just shaking and Daniel and they're rubbing him like it's a kitty cat. Why is the hand of God? I'm telling you, when we're determined and there's convictions and there's courage, there's determination, there's conviction and there's courage. Say it with me. Determination, conviction and courage. Determination, conviction and courage. Something gets into us and we can stand. Now, how do we build it? I'm gonna give you five simple practices of how do you build a resilient faith. I'm gonna focus on the first two more than the last three, but I'm gonna give you all five. Our staff and several of us in the Next Gen department have been reading several different books on the Next Gen and the Next Generation. And a couple years ago, Barna Research that does a lot of surveying among believers and churches. It's a Christian organization, huge, huge, uh, uh, really uh, gives us huge data of what's happening in current society, recently did a lot of studies when it comes to the next generation. Several years ago, there was a book called Resilience. And in the book, Valerie Bell says that the church is dying. The 64% of young people have dropped out of church over the last decade that only 10% of the next generation, only 10% of the next generation 
Valerie Bell says in her book, have what we would call a resilient faith. On average, children only attend church, and it's not the children's fault, in my opinion, but children only attend church 1.7 times a month. In most churches, they have about a 75-minute worship service. So if children are only attending church 1.7 times a month, that means in a year they will get 24 hours of religious content, experiences, and physical role models next to them. Did you hear how many hours that was? In a year. In a year. Generation Z, 51% of them say their top goal in life is happiness. The typical young person spends nearly 20 times more hours per year looking at their screen devices than getting any kind of spiritual content. And I'd probably say it was the same with adults as well, would be my guess. The unchurched, 30% of the unchurched means they don't go to church. 30% of the unchurched say that they're Christian, but they don't attend church, and they haven't attended church in the last six months. So they're Christmas Easter believers and call themselves Christian. Habitual churchgoers, they go occasionally. 38% call themselves a pit, habitual churchgoers, and they say they've been to church once in the last month but they haven't engaged in intentional Christian disciplines. So they say they're a Christian, they habitually go once a month, but yet they don't read their Bible, they don't pray, and they don't practice the core Christian beliefs. 63% of teens who come from Christian families say they believe what their parents believe. 63%. 51% of teens have attended, have, have never attended, they go to church, 51% of them have never gone to the youth group. Let me say that again. Teens that go to church, 51% of them have never gone to the youth group. 45% of teenagers say that there's multiple ways that you can get to God. There's not one way. Seven in 10 teens say that anxiety and depression are a major problem for them. And as of 2019, just before the pandemic, between over half of those between 18 and 35, over half between 18 and 35 said that they attend church only once a month. And that was in 2019. Now we're hearing it's once every six weeks. Only 22%. I know there's a lot of stats, and you are maybe not catching all of them, but I need you to catch the, the impact of this. That's why I'm taking time to do it. You know I don't do this much. 22% say that, that they're a Christian, that they've made a personal commitment to Christ. That's of teenagers as a whole, only 22%. So why are we saying we got to focus on building this resilient faith? It's because of what's happening 
to our children and our, our young adults, what's happening to many of us without maybe even realizing it. And so let's talk about building a resilient faith. The first key characteristic in building a resilient faith is what I call having a passionate spirituality. I want you to write it down, a passionate spirituality. David Kinnaman in his book called it differently. He talked about loving Jesus and experiencing Jesus. We call it a passionate spirituality. That, that, that I want to experience God and I want to learn to love him more. I want to learn how to worship him. And I want to have a transformational experience with him. Do you remember when you had your transformational experience with the Lord? I mean, as I was writing this week, I couldn't help but stop and think about it. I grew up in the church, but there was a moment where God encountered my life, and there was a moment where he impacted me, and it wasn't just something I grew up in, but there was an encounter that I had with the Lord. Where did it come? It came in worship services. It, it came in times of revival. It came in times of getting around the altars. It came in going to camp meetings. It came in these times where we can, we can get with God. For us, it might be an all-night prayer meeting. It might be times where we, we feel like we're just dragging on, but really what's happening is we're worshiping Him. We've gotten too used to touching the glory and in running away and everything is so synced in time and we get a little touch and then we run away and God wants us to learn to love him and worship him and experience him and have a transformational encounter with him Matthew 22 verse 38 we know and love the Lord your God with all of your heart mind soul and strength everything that's in you love the Lord your God there's a joy in us that we love God. We're experiencing God. That's why we call it a passionate spirituality. That's not emotional. It's passionate. I love the Lord. I want to live with God. I want to walk with God. I want to have a relationship with God. We're not just inoculating people with the gospel. But no, we're helping them to learn how to have a relationship with God so they don't disconnect, not because of the church, but because of a relationship with God and I think if we create environments like this and, and like our youth and our children are experiencing what happens in those moments is that their intimacy with God is developing and growing stronger and stronger in their life to where then they desire where we desire to spend time with the Lord to read his word to pray to seek his face, to have those moments where we're communing with him, where then Babylon is not trying to change our identity. We know who we are. We don't have a distorted identity. No, no, no. We're not letting the world rebrand us. No, no, no. We know who we are in God, and that never changes. Maybe we promote it or share it or explain it differently. But at the end of the day, the identity of who I am in Christ will never change because he's created me and I'm a creation of his wonderful hands and works. So what do I think of myself? And, and, and those choices that I, I, I make because of what I think will drive my life. It's built off of what I believe. And you and I are creating these environments and atmospheres where people can turn, just continue to learn to experience God, to love Jesus. 
that a genuine love is rising from their heart. I mean, I love standing back and watching you worship because you're coming to another level of worshiping. And I love it even in those moments that the, the worship team, they, they get softer. And man, you can hear the choir that's happening in the room. And that comes because there's a love that's deep within you that's being stoked and the fire of God is being stoked in you. And it burns brighter and brighter and brighter. Because he first loved us. Because we've experienced his love. Because we've come to know him. And his greatest desire is that we learn to love him in return. Now the reality is it's harder. It's harder than it's ever been. There's more that are, that's fighting for our time and, and, and stealing our time. But when there's a deep hunger and a thirst for more and, and, and we desire more, Daniel and his friends, those Hebrew young men, I mean, they were taken from their homeland, but yet in the middle of all of the pressure to conform, there they were. They stood strong in their faith and they stood upon what they believed and the convictions that they had and that took courage. And we see over and over again, Daniel waited on God. Daniel listened to the voice of God. When he would interpret a dream, he would go to God and he would say, God, tell me, show me, help me to understand. He was a conduit of God's power that would begin to go forward and it was all built in his devotion that he had with the Lord. And therefore, a goal of our church is to help you and, and your family center your life around God. Every weekend's about experiencing God. It's one of our core values. We have four core values, and that's one of them, that you experience God. When you come in, you know you've been in the presence of God. That when you come, you tune in, you know, you feel it, you sense it, you've heard God. God speaks to you, and he touches you, and he begins to help you with the questions of life and the issues of life and the things that are, that are trying to erode your faith, and you stand in who you are. That's one of our primary goals. One of the things that we're striving to do in the renovation of the facility next door is to create that kind of environment to help our children to continue to love God, to worship God, to have these experiences like we have in this auditorium to continue to help them to have that next door. So the first practice is a passionate spirituality. The second practice, I introduced this to us a couple of years ago. It was at the beginning of the pandemic and we really didn't get a chance to unpack it because we shifted in our, in our, in our messaging because of the pandemic. But the second key is developing cultural discernment. Now I wanna define this and I'm gonna spend, like I said, the most time on point one, two and then just give you the last three before the big give. You still got that card in your hand, the big give, right? Don't forget that. To develop cultural discernment. As we've already said, we're living in a more accelerated and complex world. Life is moving faster. There's more that's uncertain. Difficulties that, that, that are happening, things that we can't predict are becoming more difficult. The, the statistics that I read to you a few minutes ago, three out of five say that they're more stressed out, teenagers. There's more anxiety. Seven out of 10 teenagers say that they're more concerned about the future. 
than, than in past uh, uh, surveys of other generations. They're, they're worried about their career. They're worried about money. They're worried about education and, and relationship. There's more worry than they've ever had before. And social media has a way of making us feel more insecure in our lives. As we compare and, and we look and we see and we follow, all of a sudden it builds within all of us an insecurity. And boy, that leads us to a place that begins to, to infiltrate our lives and where, where we live and how we, how we respond. When you look at Daniel and you see the example of, of Daniel and these young men, what you see is that Daniel had a wisdom that helped him to navigate his culture. Why did he have a, a resilient faith? Why could he stand with determination and conviction and courage? It was because Daniel had a wisdom that helped him to navigate his culture. And therefore, his faith was resilient. Now, you know what resilient means. I mean, you, you, you kind of bend something and it quickly just snaps back, right? It recoils, it strings back, it, 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 it can be stretched or bent, it can be compressed, and it's just resilient, it just comes right back. Well, that's what our faith has got to be like, resilient. You might be pressured, and you might be under a, a crunch, and you might be under a weight, you might be under a lot of stress, and it might be pressing in, but just like squeezing a racquetball or a tennis ball, you squeeze it, and, and, and yeah, the pressure's there, you can squeeze it in, but the moment the pressure's off, it recoils right back. That's how our faith has got to be. And so if I define cultural discernment for you, I would give you this definition that it's learning to develop wisdom so that you can live faithfully in a secular, plural world. Cultural discernment is learning to develop wisdom. And by the way, this isn't just for our, 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 our children, right? I mean, let's, let's be honest. There's a lot of people that are walking around with Foolishness. I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that up here, but the Bible uses the word foolishness, so I'm going to use it. There's just a lot of foolishness. Things that, I mean, there's just some things you just don't say, right? You might think it, you shouldn't even think it, but if you think it, you don't say it. There's no filter, there's foolishness, their decision making is, I mean, how did you get to that decision? I, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes, honestly, I mean, I, I hear a lot of things and sometimes I think, yeah, wow. You said it for me. How did you get to that decision? Just, just no wisdom. You know, we've got to learn to develop wisdom so that we can live faithfully in a secular, plural world. That we have the ability to distinguish between good and evil. And that we can make wise decisions. Now I want to share with you a scripture. I know I haven't taken you to the scripture yet. So let me, let me share with you a scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6. I'm going to read from the Living Bible. 1 Peter 1. So be truly glad, Peter says. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. He says, it's okay, why? There's joy ahead. 
So you may be pressed. You may go through trials. Things may be a little difficult for a little while, but it's okay. These trials will show your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong, that's resilience. When your faith remains strong through these trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day, the day of judgment when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole So cultural discernment is that our faith is strong and that we have this wisdom in a secular plural world and that we learn how to walk in that wisdom, that we understand that questions of how do I live and how do I make sense of life and when this trial is happening and when this difficulty happens and when I'm disappointed here and I don't pass a test or I don't get the grade or I don't get the job or I don't get what I wanted or desired, How do I keep walking forward in spite of all of the difficulties and circumstances? Now, when I say walk with wisdom and develop wisdom, I got to define wisdom for you. So if I back up and define wisdom, it's understanding and applying God's perspective to a situation. I'm not talking about just human wisdom, more knowledge. That's good. Learning is good. Although Paul reminded the king, uh, the, 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 the king told Paul, your learning has made you mad. Sometimes we, we can be so, you know, uh, you know, wise that we don't even know how to apply it. And it has nothing to do with God's word or his perspective. But what we're talking about in a biblical wisdom is understanding and applying God's perspective in a situation. Now, how do I develop it? Well, look with me over in James. How do you develop this kind of wisdom? James 1.23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who what? Looks intently We're talking about developing wisdom. How do you develop? The man who looks intently into the perfect law, the word of God that gives freedom, and he continues to do this. Now, by the way, we call this Bible engagement. When you look intently, you continue to look into the word, you continue to study its principles and its ways. What's happening is you're learning about the character of God, You're learning about the ways of God, the nature of God. You're beginning to see what God has done before. And now a faith begins to develop in you that God can do it again. It's that courage that's built in conviction that comes from a determination that says, I know what I believe and whom I believe and what he's done for four in the Old Testament and what he's done in others, he can do for me because something is built within you. And so if we go on, It says, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. By the way, that's the problem for most believers. They hear it and don't do it. And then we wonder why our children don't follow suit. 
not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So this cultural discernment is that we learn to be doers of the word, that we, we engage the word, we, we study the word. We propose to you what we call the SOAP method. You study scripture, you observe what, what God is saying, what's being said, who are they talking to, who's the author, the prophet, the Lord, what's he saying, to whom is he saying it. Then you begin to make an application, S is, is scripture, observation is O, then you make the application. How does that apply to me? What is God saying to me? And then before you're done, you pray and you say, God, help me to live this. Help me to do this. Help me to change. Forgive me, Lord, where I've sinned. Forgive me where I've done my own thing and went my own way. And you begin to develop within you a habit to engage the word of God. Now, how do we help our next generation to do this? I think is we've got to have them in environments around dinner tables. We talk about our, our, our faith and our convictions and our stories and our struggles. We talk about encounters that we've had. It comes in, in times of, 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 you know, revivals and camps. It comes by allowing them to be a part of and, and be in with other believers so that others can inspire them and help them in their walk with the Lord. When you take vacations and you go on breaks, you know, if you go on vacation, I would just make the plea to you, don't vacation from God when you go on vacation. Find a church, find a place to worship. Go, help them to experience. If you can't get the church or too much is happening, get around the dinner table and have a time of prayer and open up the word. Oh, turn on the television. I mean, we'll come right in to your vacation Airbnb and we'll have service right there with you. I mean, spend some time. Don't vacation from God. Let them see that it's not something you do, but it's something that we are. And that is believers that are in love with Jesus and we want to experience experience him. Philippians, musicians, I'm going to invite you back. Philippians 1, 9, I pray that your love, Paul says, will what? Will what? Overflow. We even had that as a theme a few years ago. Will overflow more and more. And that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. That's wisdom. For, he says, you will keep growing that. For I want you to understand what really matters. That's cultural discernment. It's built in wisdom. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. You see, what are we trying to do with our children? What do we've got to do is we've got to know the word. We've got to understand it so that we can live pure and blameless lives in the world of Babylon that we live in today until the day of Christ's return. And then he goes on to say, may you always be filled with fruit of your salvation. The righteous character, the righteous character produced in you by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So developing a resilient faith means helping our young people connect their faith with Jesus and then learning how to live out that faith. That's cultural discernment. 
how to live it out, how to make sense of what's happening around them. Too many young people said that their lives were separated from the sacred and the secular, from the spiritual to the what they called real life. Now I'm telling you, we're working hard as a church. We're working hard to try to help you as a family, to help our children to develop cultural discernment. The last three I just share with you, I'm not gonna preach the points, is we gotta help them a key practic, practical way of developing this resilient faith is to have meaningful relationships in their life. In the survey by, by David Kinneman, what he said was, those that were resilient in their faith, they had at least one adult that was like a spiritual mentor or someone that was speaking into their life. If they don't have meaningful relationships, then they begin to feel like they don't belong. So meaningful relationships. The, the next is he said that a key practical point is not only meaningful relationships, but missional living. That, that they understand that we are living in a world that's countercultural. We help them to understand it. That we're living in a world that's trying to erode our faith and that we are going to live different as believers in Christ. And therefore, there's a sense of mission that gets developed within them. That even as they start going to middle school or high school, they're already starting to defend their faith and they're already beginning to share God's love. They're already beginning to understand that, that God has called them and they are anointed by him and they're learning to love him and to worship him and they're gaining wisdom on how to stand in the midst of Babylon and therefore in their world, they understand it's not just missionaries that have a mission. They have a mission and they begin to hold it closer. Unfortunately, we've isolated our children from the world that then they begin to question the very faith that we have because we've not prepared them for the world. Somehow, we've got to find the blend there. And lastly, he called it, he called it the, the serving in their ministry passions, David Kinneman. Now, he really calls it vocational preparation to understanding that there is a calling and that calling is not just a calling in the church, but it's a calling even out of the church. So whatever vocation God may send them to, be it a banker or a doctor or a nurse or, or, or whatever other profession, teacher, whatever it may be, that they understand that that is a part of their calling and they're prepared to live in passions, in ministry passions, in vocational passions, understanding that there's a call from the Lord. And as we build these into our children, into our youth, into the next generation. Slowly but surely, we begin to help them to see that there is a resilience. They begin to develop it as they're seeing that there is something that's happening within them that enables them to stand like Daniel and his friends against all of the attack that may come from them. Father, I pray that as we come to the end of the message, 
that, Lord, you will help us to build resilient faith in ourselves and in the children and youth and young adults of our congregation. I pray, God, that that the word today will penetrate convictions within us about our family and about our children and our youth and our young adults. Thank you for the hundreds that are volunteering and serving with the next generation. That they're becoming godly role models, especially young adults that are serving with youth and teens and children. They're a role model. Thank you for the young Marys that, Father, are, 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 are joining in life, in the journey of life with the young adults. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray that as a church, I know this is a little different message today, but God, I pray that you will develop us, help us to develop a resilient faith. I pray, God, as we prepare to take our offering, we've talked about it, we've celebrated, we've looked at all that you've done, we've shared what we would like to do this next year, and we're asking the body, here in the room and those online to have a heart for the house. To say, I love my church and I want to partner with my church to make a greater impact in the next generation. I pray that as we give today, you'll lay it on our heart what you would have us to give. That each one will do their part and as you lay it on our heart that God together we will accomplish our goal. It seems like a big goal, but we're a big church. And if each person does their part, God, I know that we'll reach this goal. There's some that might be able to take a complete aspect of the projects. I pray that you'll speak to their heart. Even though there are things in the building, help us to see it's not about the building. It's about the children, the youth, and the young adults, PPA and the families, all that's going to be done. God, I pray. That as we give from our hearts today, we give unto you. We give because we love what you're doing. We love the church. We love our church. We love the impact that's being made. But most of all, we're praying, God, for a greater impact. As we give today, I pray that we will go beyond our goal. You'll help us to stretch with faith. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. I want to invite our worship team to come. I'm sorry, as well as our ushers to come. My brain was like colliding. And as our ushers come and our worship team comes, I want to ask you to prepare to give a special offering. A heart for the house offering. We've shared with you what it's about. We've shared with you the projects that are on here. As we've prayed, I ask that the Lord's already spoken what he would have you to give. If you're in the room, there's envelopes there in the rack in front of you. You can use that. There's a QR code that's on the screen. We all know how to probably use that now. You just put your phone there, hover over it. It's going to take you to the giving page. There you're going to be able to select your campus. For most here today, of course, it's Fort Lauderdale. If you're online today and you just happen not to be at your local campus, you can 
check there, click there, your campus, and it'll take you to your campus. And there you'll see the project that they're raising funds for at their campus. Fort Lauderdale has its goals. Every campus has its goal. And as you see that, then you'll be able to participate there. What I know is if we all do something, if we all do something, we will reach our goal. I'm believing, I'm praying, for I know the impact that's going to come. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.